Lord said unto his disciple John, Come forth and receive the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, John came fifth and only got a toaster. <laughs> Work with me, y'all. Come on, that's some good stuff right there. That's dead joke heaven. A missionary is walking through the jungle when he comes upon a hungry lion. Just as the lion goes to attack, the missionary folds his hands and prays, Lord, if you can hear me, please instill the Holy Spirit in this beast's heart. The lion stops in his tracks and a glow begins to form around him. The lion looks to the sky, closes his eyes and says, thank you, Lord, for this meal. <laughs> Come on, that's good stuff right there, friend. Oh, it's going to be a long morning if y'all ain't going to work with me. If you've ever gotten an email uh, or a letter from me, uh, most of the time uh, I will sign off by saying, in Christ, torn. And the reason that I do that is uh, actually what I learned uh, when I had a class back in seminary on the book of Romans. Uh, one of the things that Paul uh, often will say is that we are in Christ. And uh, when I was in seminary, I learned how just beautiful, powerful, meaningful, deep, and rich those two words actually are. Uh, there's just massive implications to being in Christ. And so I do it kind of as a reminder that that's who I am. That's my identity. That's actually what I'm about, what I want to be about. I am in Christ. Uh, Paul's actually been talking about this all throughout the book of Romans, but we're going to find specifically uh, again, here in 8, he brings it up. Now, when we were back in chapter 5 a couple weeks ago, uh, I told you that there's three things that we learn about what it means to be in Christ. All right, number one, we have peace with God. All right, my relationship is not simply without conflict, but it's actually put right. There is a safety and a security that is found in that peace that we gain when we are in Christ. That comes uh, by believing in Jesus, right? That's how we get justified. The second thing is we have peace with God. Or sorry, that's the first thing. Second thing, we have access to God's grace. Remember we said that um, if God has this, if we have this much sin, God has this much grace. If we have this much sin, God has this much grace. We always have access to his grace. In fact, Paul actually says in another letter that we're able to come boldly into the throne room of grace because God has allowed us, God desires that we can do that. It's like a little kid who gets to like just stumble into the president's office. Right? Nobody else can just waltz in whenever they want. But if you're a child of the president or a child of the king, you can do that. And that's exactly what he says there about being in Christ. One of the benefits, all right? one of the implications. The third thing is that we have hope that is not simply wishful thinking. It's actually based on a revealed future. So it's a hope that doesn't put us to shame. It's not the kind of hope that we often use in our Western society where we're kind of talking about wishful thinking. It's actually when a future has been revealed to us ahead of time, and that's what our hope is in. And so that hope won't put us to shame. That hope will not disappoint. Here in chapter 8, there's another benefit to being in Christ, and it's the truth that we are given the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not the first time that we learn about the Holy Spirit. The first time we learn about the Holy Spirit is back when Jesus performs his first miracle, 
turns water into wine, and he fills everyone with the Holy Spirit. Get it? Wine? Come on, work with me, people. All right, that's my last one, I promise. That's, that's all I got. Three really bad dad jokes. If you have your Bibles, open up Romans chapter 8. We are going to be looking at uh, this entire chapter. Quite honestly, this is probably like five sermons I'd love to be able to give out of Romans 8. I get one week, okay? So I'm not going to be able to cover everything. We are going to walk through a good chunk of the text, and I'm going to teach some key pieces in it. And then at the very end, what I'd like to do is give you three applications. Really, it's one application. You're going to find yourself in one of kind of three scenarios, and you'll kind of self-decide. And then there's one application based on where you think you're at this morning. Romans chapter 8, let's start in verse 1. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's like, look, God gave us the law. The law was perfect, but nobody could actually live out the law. And so all the law could do is actually condemn you. It made you more guilty when the law came out. That's why we need the Spirit, the Spirit of Him who was raised from the dead. It's only through our belief in Christ that we find life. This is what he's talking about here. Keep reading, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, okay? But those who live according to the spirit, or in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. When he's talking about the flesh, he's talking about this uh, kind of our old nature, like all, all the stuff before Christ that we desired, that we longed for, that we went after. It's in our sin nature. That's, that's the flesh. It's, it's like the bad things that we desired and went after. But now in Christ, right, not only is there no condemnation, but we have the Spirit. And the Spirit actually does something new for us, moves us in a new direction. Continue reading verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, You're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. All right, two things that I want to mention about this chunk, because I can't spend a lot of time on it. The first we see in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul keeps going back to this theme of no condemnation. It's the the concept of the idea of standing before a judge, all right? And you're guilty, all right? You were caught red-handed, like you deserve death, punishment, you're there in front of the judge, and the judge is about to give his sentence, and instead, instead of punishing you for your sin, Jesus steps in, and he dies in your place. And simply by believing in his death and resurrection, the judge 
then takes your guilty sentence and he changes it, he justifies you, and declares you to be righteous. You're set free. Even though you're guilty, you're set free. You're, you're like, you're good to go. Crazy. Doesn't make sense to us. All right? That's what he says when there's no condemnation. Now, he's been talking about this all throughout Romans. The very beginning, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Right? The, the verse that we keep playing up there before. We experience salvation through our belief in Christ. That's the power to anybody who believes. He also talks about it in chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, chapter 6, 14, 6, 23, 7, 25, now again in 8, 1. Why? Because you need to hear it. I need to hear it over and over and over and stinking over. If you and I are ever going to actually believe that it's true. If we're actually going to trust that what God's word said is more true than the reality that we may experience, if we're actually going to live it out, we have to hear it over and over and over. It seems too good to be true, but it's not. It is God's truth. And so we hang on to that. It requires faith. But when we believe, we move from death to life. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I'm just getting, this is, there's so much good stuff in this. Okay, I, I, then he goes on and he wants to talk about the Spirit. In fact, if you read with me verse 11, uh, let's just jump down to 11 real quick. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is mind-blowing, but the Spirit of God, who is God, actually is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was physically, literally dead, and he was raised back to life. And he says, that power lives in you. And me, that's insane. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I wish that I could spend so much time because this is like one of the chapters in all the scripture where the spirits talked about uh, more than almost any other chapter. I'm not going to talk about it anymore, not it, him, anymore right now, um, because we're going to in a couple months. Uh, I don't think we've ever, I don't think I've ever shared this with you guys before, but we don't just willy-nilly come up with the series that we're going to teach. I know you probably don't think that, but it's not just like we're like sitting around like, ah, we should do that or we should do this. Um, as a staff, we get together, we spend time praying we spend time listening to God. A lot of times we'll go away for a couple of days, and that's our entire focus. God, what do you want our church to hear? What, what, what do you need them to hear? What do you need us to be looking into and studying and, and preparing? And sometimes it's topical series, like we did one uh, on We Will. Like God wanted, God said, I, I need you to remind TLC what I've called them to. All right. Uh, we spent some time talking about vocation. Do you remember our, our, our series uh, about a year and a half ago on vocation? We also spent uh, a topical series talking about relationships, rookies, vets, and free agents, about marriage and singleness and all that went into that. Okay? So there's times that God says, I need you to take a topic and I need you to explain what my word says about it, how, you're, how we're supposed to live it as Christians in this world. There's other times that God says, uh, I want you to walk them through a book of the Bible because they need to understand from start to finish uh, what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. So we spent time in uh, the book of Exodus 
Last year, we spent time uh, working through Ecclesiastes. We spent six weeks talking about just one uh, chapter in Psalm, Psalm 23. Remember that? And right now, God said, I want you to walk through the book of Romans. So we're doing that. But when we come uh, to our series and when we plan for a year, we're just trying to say, Jesus, what does your church, what does your church need to hear? You tell us and we'll do our very best to obey you and, and teach it as best as we possibly can. So for about a year and a half, we have sensed that God has been saying, I want you to spend a lot of time teaching my church about the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this past summer, we felt like God told us we're supposed to start that in 2021. So 2021 is kind of the year of the Spirit. We're going to spend about five or six weeks in January uh, doing a teaching on the Holy Spirit, who he is, uh, what he does, how he wants to partner with us here at TLC. Uh, we're going to, I'm not exactly sure when, but later on in 2021, we're going to do another uh, five or six week series on the Holy Spirit. And we're starting to pray now, like, Spirit, we want more of you. We want your power. We want to experience uh, all that you have to offer. And a lot of times I think like we all feel like we know the Father fairly well when it comes to the Trinity. And we definitely feel like we know Jesus probably best. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot of times folks are like, I don't, I don't, I mean, is it a he? Is it a thing? Is it a power? Like, what is the Holy, what does the Holy Spirit do? Is it like, you know, God, but the junior, junior varsity version? Or is he like all the way God? Like, what does that mean? And so we're going to spend time and we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, how he wants to partner with us. So uh, because of that, that's all you're getting right now about this awesome chunk. Keep reading with me. Chapter uh, 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit and put to, but if by the Spirit, excuse me, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Dad, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Two things about this section. Number one starts in verse 12. Remember what I said last week? Anytime you see a therefore, you ask, what's the therefore therefore? Very good, very good. So uh, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, okay, he says that we are uh, no longer have any condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. He's been talking about this the whole time. He's like, look, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life, if you've believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, then you are set free. It's been erased. Your past, your present, even your future sin, erased, taken care of. All right, he's going to explain a little bit more about this in just a moment. But it would be easy to think, hey, yo, I'm good. Like, there's no condemnation anymore. Like, like I'm in. I'm free. I'm good. God's like got me, so therefore I can live my life however the stinking heck I want to. I can spend my money however I want to spend my money. It's my money. I'll do what I want. I can spend my time however I want to spend my time. It's my time. I'll do what I want. I can use my body however I want to use my body with whoever else I want to use it with because it's mine. I can do whatever I want. You can fill in the blank on anything in there, right? And what Paul is doing is he's saying, yes, it is true. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Absolutely. Past, present, future sin, gone, completed, taken care of. 
God has declared you righteous. However, not to earn salvation, but because of salvation, we have an obligation. That's what he says in verse 12. Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's not to the flesh. It's not to act crazy, wilding out, however you want to act. It's actually to partner with the Spirit to become the very people that God wants us to be. Paul's trying to make it crystal clear that we have an obligation. Now, this always happens not because we're earning something. You can't earn it. You'll never be good enough for it. It only comes through belief. However, because God loved us, we then love him. We love because he first loved us. Our lives of goodness flow out of this gift of love. Because of this gift of love, but not to get this gift of love. Does that make sense? Our lives of goodness flow out of this gift of love because of this gift of love, but not to get this gift of love. Verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. See, before we had trusted Christ, we were slaves to sin, slaves to the law that God had given us that none of us could live up to. He's like, now that you've been adopted, you're no longer slaves. You're actually children of God. And if you are God's child, that means that you are an heir to everything he has. How much does God have? He has everything much. That's how much. He's got everything dollars. That's how much he's got, like all of it. Some of us are running around, and I say some of us. Truth is, I'm included in this. I find myself way too often thinking about, oh, what kind of car am I driving? What kind of house am I living in? What kind of toys do I have? What are my clothes like? Do I have the kind of health that I want to have? What do I, and so I'm worried about going after all these different things. And God's like, yo, you're my kid. The day is coming when Christ is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to, Remake the earth. It's going to be a new earth, new heaven and a new earth. And guess who inherits this? New heaven and new earth. You and me. We inherit all of it. So stop going after that weak, sorry butt house. Okay? You're about to have something way nicer. You can spend everything you got now on that future. Because you're going to actually wind up with something that's so much better. You are an heir, a child with an inheritance from God. Come on now. Live like it, right? Oh, my goodness, friends. This is just like, this is good stuff. And it's just about to get better. Jump down with me to verse 28. We're skipping all over 18. Jordan's going to come back. He gets to deal with the hot topic next week. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or as I messed it up a couple weeks ago, why do good things happen to bad people? That maybe is a better question, I don't know. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How many times does this verse get dropped on folks that are going through something really, really bad? Like, yo, don't even sweat it, because all things, you know what I'm saying, bro? All things work together for the good. That's like what everybody is trying to say to the Michigan football team right now. Hey, don't laugh, Michigan State. You're just as bad, okay? Okay, you can laugh a little more because you did beat us. All things work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
The only way that this verse makes any sense is if you understand what the good is. You see, way too often we try to add our own interpretation or definition of what the good is. Bad things happen. And sometimes we want the good to mean like, well, it's all going to work itself out. But you know what? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you pray for healing and healing does not come. And you say, God, where were you? You said you work all things together for the good. Well, the only way to understand if God is actually real and what his word says is actually true is to know what the good actually means when he says this. God doesn't lie. So what does the good mean? Well, the only way we know that is if we keep on reading verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined ahead of time to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. The good is that God promises that he can take anything that happens to you, good, bad, ugly, and there's a lot of bad and a lot of ugly that happens to us in our lives, suffering, difficulty, pain, hurt, disappointment. And God promises that he can take those things and use them to make us more like Jesus. That's his ultimate goal. Why? Because he knows if we look like Jesus If we act like Jesus, if we think like Jesus and live like Jesus, that's where life is actually found. That's where life and life to the full is actually found. Is it always easy? No. Will it mean that you're going to go through suffering and rejection? Yeah. Jesus did. If Jesus suffered, if Jesus was rejected by this world, if you are his follower, why would you think that anything different is going to happen to you? But even in that stuff, God can take it and use it for the good of becoming like Christ. Look, you don't get deep without going through deep waters. That's just a truth. God's greatest work often happens in the midst of suffering. It's not fun. I wouldn't pray it for anybody or desire it for anyone. But I know I've experienced it myself. God does his best work in those spaces and places. And that's what God's desire is. Not that we would suffer, but that we would become like Christ. And so he says, I'll use whatever it takes to help you get there. Continue reading. He says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus, the son, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It's like Jesus is already there, but he's just supposed to be the first one in the family. He's just the oldest son, okay? But Jesus got lots of brothers and sisters that are coming in behind him. He says, and those he predestined, okay, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is some really interesting language, and it's really important that we catch it. What tense are all of those words in there? Anybody want to say it? Past tense, yeah. In the original Greek, it's the aorist tense. But that's what it means. It means past tense. So you read it here, and it says, uh, those he predestined, he also called. All right? That makes sense, though. Like, if you predestine, that's like you're making a decision before anything else, or at least you know ahead of time. Okay, that's got to be past tense. And then it says he called. You're like, all right, he's talking about Christians here. So these are people that have already been called. All right? So that's past tense. That makes sense. And those he called, he also justified. Well, yeah, if you're a Christian, you've been justified. You've believed, and now you've been justified. And then he says, and those he justified, he also glorified. What? Glorified, that's what happens when you die. 
That, that's when you are made perfect. I don't know about you, but I don't feel perfect. I don't feel perfect. You know why? Because <laughs> I'm not perfect. Far from perfect. And every single one of us in this room is the same way. You might be justified, but you definitely don't look glorified to me yet. I'm just saying. Like, some of you look way less glorified than others even. Okay? Why does he say glorified? Why does he say it in past tense? What he should say is you've been justified, and those he's justified, he will glorify. Future tense. But he doesn't. He doesn't say you will be glorified. He says and those he justified, he has glorified. Because God already sees us there. What God has declared is more true than the reality that you find yourself in now. Does that blow your mind a little bit? Good, it ought to. It doesn't make sense in our minds, only in the mind of God. But what he says is true. This isn't past, or this isn't a future tense. This is actually past tense because God lives outside of time. And so when God sees me, he doesn't see me as the broken person I am. He sees me in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I am perfect already. And he sees you in Christ, those of you that have given yourselves to him. This is a crazy, crazy idea. Have you ever seen somebody try to stand up against a big wave? Have you ever go out to like the ocean, right? And they try to stand up against a a big wave, something that like is coming in. Uh, This dude tried to do it. <laughs> I've seen that so many times, but I just enjoy it <laughs> every time. Right? That, that's what happens when we say to God, All right, God, uh, you've done these things, but God, I- I'm going to try to resist what you've done for me. You try to go up against it. You can't stop a 10 foot wave, you can't hold it back. It's impossible. Uh, this is what God wants us to understand. What God has done cannot be undone. There's an atomic love that's blown up on you. You can't hold it back. I was going to show a a picture um, of what happens if you try to hold a a firecracker, okay? Please do not Google that, okay? Because the stuff I saw was, like, worse than, like, any horror movie you would ever, like, it's just sick and wrong. I couldn't do it. I was like, I can't even do this to these people because I might throw up. Uh, You can't hold back. That's a tiny amount of power. Imagine atomic power. How are you going to hold that back? You can't. I remember when I was a kid, we used to always go camping, so we'd go to Lake Michigan. And I love when a storm was rolling in. That was like my favorite time to go and play in the water because the waves would get big enough that you could actually body surf. Now, when you're a little kid, though, you got to make it past where they crash to be able to get out to body surf, right? And then waves are just slapping you around, right? You're just trying to, like, get into it. Boom! But eventually you get out, right? And then you learn, once I get past, then I can ride the wave. Way too often we find ourselves trying to fight against this thing that God has declared in our lives. And God wants you to know, you'll never be able to hold me back. What I've said is true. Whether you experience it now or not, you can either work with me and partner with me in my spirit the spirit that doesn't make you a slave to fear, but a spirit that shows you that you're my son and my daughter and heir to everything that I have and work to become the kind of people that I want you to be because that's where you're going to find the most enjoyment. Body surf. 
friends, don't try to battle the wave. Now, we get to the very best part. And with this, I, I have to close. Oh, my goodness. This is the best part. So good. All right. 31. What then shall we say in response to all these things? Mm, that's such a good question. That is such a good question. Everything that he just shared, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's like, look, if he wouldn't spare his own son, don't you think he'll give you whatever you need to become like Christ? If you're like, man, I have not felt that lately. Are you asking him? He's a good father. He knows how to give good gifts to his kids when we ask. Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God's already declared us, but just in case, Jesus is still there like, yo, remember what you said? Yeah, let's do that. All right. He's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written, for your sake we face death all day long, or considered as sheep to be slaughtered? He says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You ever think about that idea, more than conquerors? How do you become more than a conqueror? Like you're a conqueror, you win, right? He says we're more than conquerors. Well, uh, I'm going to close with this story, and then I want to give you three applications. And I think this story illustrates what it means to be more than a conqueror. Back in 1916, Georgia Tech had a football game against Cumberland College. Cumberland College had actually uh, gotten rid of their football team earlier that year uh, because they were running, A, they were terrible, and B, they were running short on cash. However, John Heisman, who the Heisman Trophy is named after, he was the coach of Georgia Tech, and he did not want to lose this uh, opportunity to play them. They had signed a contract, and so he said he was actually going to uh, sue Cumberland College for $3,000, which was the contract, if they didn't field the team and come and play him. Uh, Cumberland College was uh, doing very badly financially at the time, and so they couldn't afford, because that's like 80 some thousand in today's money, and so uh, they had to figure out a way to field the team. So they found their student manager, and they said, pull together a team. He did. They pulled together a team, got all the, the gear from the football uh, and then made their way up. In fact, um, Heisman wanted to play them so bad, he said, not only will I pay for you guys to come up here, but I'll also give the school, Cumberland College, $500. So uh, they did. Uh, they came up. The reason Heisman wanted to play them so bad was because earlier that year in the springtime, Heisman, who was also Georgia Tech's baseball coach, had played Cumberland College. Cumberland College had allegedly brought some guys on their baseball team who were professional baseball players in the minor league system and had got them to come and play for that one game. And they smoked Georgia Tech. They weren't supposed to beat them, and they smoked them 22 to 0. So Heisman wanted to play Cumberland College for revenge. And so they fielded, it was 16 guys that they could get up there, uh, Cumberland received the opening kickoff, failed to make a first down, 
After a punt, the engineers, that's what Georgia Tech was called back then, the Georgia Tech engineers, scored on their first play. Cumberland then fumbled on their next play from the line of scrimmage. Georgia Tech returned it for a touchdown. The Bulldogs, Cumberland College Bulldogs, fumbled again on their next play, and it took Georgia Tech two rushes to score its third touchdown. At the end of the first quarter, Georgia Tech led 63 to nothing. At the end of the second quarter at halftime, it was 226 to nothing. Georgia Tech added 54 more points in the third quarter and 42 in the final quarter. 222 to nothing. That, friends, was the final score. It is the most lopsided victory in the history of all of college football. Several players on the heavily outmatched Cumberland side suffered serious injuries during the game. I'm sorry I'm laughing at that, but it's just kind of funny. Uh, it shouldn't be, but it is. I don't know why I'm laughing. Including quarterback Edwards, who was not once, not twice, but three times carted off the field with concussions. Georgia Tech scored 32 touchdowns. James Prees uh, kicked 18 extra points. Cumberland's only effective defensive play was when an extra point was blocked because they built a human pyramid. This is a true story. It's why it's outlawed. You can't do this anymore in college football. Built a human pyramid with Vichy Woods at the top, who suffered a gruesome facial injury on the play. <laughs> the kicker kicked the ball so hard, and he blocked it with his face. And, and it like, blow, I don't know, but it was a gruesome injury. Uh, Cumberland's top rusher had negative two yards. The team ended with a negative 42 total yards. Cumberland didn't get a single first down. But neither did Georgia Tech, because Georgia Tech never needed to get one. They literally scored on every possession that they had. That, friends, is what it means to be more than conquerors, okay? If you're on God's team, you can't lose. It's not even possible. It might not look great at the very beginning, but when the game actually starts, there is no competition. That's what it means to be more than conquerors. And friends, when we understand that, when we live that truth, it will begin to transform who we are, how we live, what we bet our lives on. So there's three potential groups you could be in. Uh, number one, uh, you haven't yet made a decision for Christ. Maybe you've grown up in church. Uh, maybe you're even embarrassed to admit it because you've been around church so much. Maybe your spouse is here, and, and they're like, Yo, I thought you were. You told me all along. I don't know. Maybe you're in high school and you're just simply asking, like, if you're in the first group, you might know all about Christ, but maybe you've never actually given your life to him. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, come in. And, and if that's you today, your application is simply this. Will you accept this gift? Will you say yes? Uh, maybe you're in the second group where you went to church, you actually gave your life to Christ. Maybe when you were younger, maybe not that long ago, but for the last number of months, maybe even number of years, you don't feel like you've been growing at all. In fact, you've just kind of been going through the motions. And today, Jesus is saying to you, will, will you believe that what I said I'm going to do, I can actually do? Will you ask for my help again? Will you simply acknowledge that you've been going through the motions and today step back into this relationship? Maybe, maybe you're in the third category. You're like, I'm a Christian. 2020 has been hard. 
but I'm growing. Maybe not a ton, but it's there. Like, I love Jesus. I'm trying to walk with him. Your application today is simply to just freak out in worship in our last song. <laughs> just in gratitude. To raise your hands, to, to weep if you need to weep. To just say, God, thank you. Thank you for your atomic love that blew up on my life. I don't deserve it. It's nothing that I did. And, and maybe for you, not, not only are you supposed to just in gratitude, just worship God with everything you have, but maybe you're supposed to come forward and start praying for some folks that, that don't have that relationship. One of the things we're going to start doing as a church is we're going to start doing a song at the end of the message every week. And the reason that we want to do that is we want to create an environment, a space where um, we respond to what the Spirit is saying to us. So if you need to pray, if it's maybe to receive Christ for the first time, maybe it's just to say, God, I want to I re-engage with you again. It's been a long time since I felt you. Maybe you need to start praying for somebody else, a friend, a family member, a co-worker. The altar's open. We're just going to worship God in this last song. He deserves it. Have our eyes closed. If you need to come forward and pray, do some business with God, do it. Doesn't mean that you're like a terrible sinner. Okay, it does. You are terrible, but so am I. It's all right. We're all in the same boat. But we want the front to be open. It's just a place from now on, a space that we can respond to what God's up to, what God's saying, to pray for others, to bring them to the throne. So let's do that. Let's thank God for what he's done. We are more than conquerors, friends, through him who loved us.